All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Is climate change really a reason to encourage your children not to have children? Now, if you think that sounds ridiculous, we're going to go over an article today written by Dennis Prager in the New York Times where he's talking about what some articles in the New York Times and specifically the comments section, and you're going to be blown away by some of the things you hear. That's all coming up next here on Making the Argument with Nick Freitas, where we equip all of us to make the arguments to be able to defend freedom. Okay, so I have three kids, and more specifically, I have three teenagers. And one of the jokes that I have with my kids whenever they would break something or whenever they would color on the walls or do something crazy is I'd look at them and I'd say, hey, don't worry about it because one day I'm going to be a grandfather. And they never quite understood what that meant until a little bit later on. And I was joking with them. They're like, Dad, what do you mean that you know, it's okay one day you're going to be a grandfather? I said, well, it's real simple. I'm keeping a running tally in my head of all the little stuff you've broken or the ways that you haven't listened or you know, the walls you've colored on or, or things that Dad really appreciated that you destroyed because you decided to use it as a Frisbee. Right? I'm remembering all of that. And one day, one magical day, I'm going to be a grandpa. And I'm going to come over to your house and I'm going to give you guys a nice date night. You and your wife or your husband, you're going to go out. You're going to go get something to eat and I'm going to watch the kids. And I am handing my grandbaby a Red Bull and a magic marker, and I'm telling them to have a great time. Go get creative. Go draw daddy or mommy a picture on the wall. They would love it, right? And then as soon as you come home, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand them a candy bar, and then I'm going to leave, right? Because now I get to be cool grandpa. I get to be cool. I raised you correctly, hopefully, and so now I get to spoil my grandchildren, right? That was always the joke. And obviously, I'm embellishing. I probably won't do the Red Bull, but... I might. I'm just, I know me. I've seen me do it. Anyway, the point is, is that I think most of us on some level look forward to one day having grandchildren. And I'm coming across this article in the Daily Wire by Dennis Prager. And and the, the title of the article is, The Media Produces Derangement, Proof from New York Times Readers. And this comes from Dennis Prayer reading an article. So I'm going to read some of this off for you. He goes, This past week, New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd added another column to the myriad irrational and hysterical pieces about the existential threat climate change allegedly poses to human life. And then he writes, As I do almost, uh, after almost every piece I read on the internet, I read comments submitted by the readers. One provided me with an epiphany. It was a comment submitted by New York Times reader Sophia of Bangor, Maine. And here's what she said. I have one child, a daughter, who told me at age eight that she would never have a child because of global warming. She's now 34 and has never changed her mind. So I will not experience a grandchild. For her wisdom, I am grateful. I would be heartsick if I did have a grandchild who would have to experience the onslaught of changing climate. Doesn't stop there. Wait for some more here. 
Okay. Uh, we got another one here from B. Rothman, New York City. I completely agree. I have six grandchildren and weep inside for the calamitous life that is ahead for them. Ida in Berkeley, California. I weep with you, Sophia. Whenever I look at my 11-year-old daughter in the eyes, I feel so many emotions. Guilt for bringing her into this dying world. Liberal Texas. I feel your pain. I have two sons. Neither one will have children and their partners agree. I'll never have grandchildren. But I also realize that their decisions have in some way been molded by me. I am proud of their decision. Liz in Portland. Frankly, as someone who has been concerned about climate change and observing what is happening over the last 10 years with real dread, I do not understand why anyone in the last 10 years would voluntarily have a child. Okay. I think most of us on the conservative side, we see this. And this seems like it's coming from a different world. The idea that what is, whatever is going on with respect to climate change right now, that your, your mentality would be that either for the good of the child or the good of the planet, and there's two different arguments made here, and we're going to get to both. For the good of the child or the good of the planet, you shouldn't have kids. I will tell you right now, my first inclination when I read this and I see all these people is my thought is, yes, you definitely should not have kids. And if this, is how you're, if this is how your children feel about it, good. They shouldn't have kids either. Because I can't imagine raising kids with this kind of manufactured fear about the environment. I can't imagine that. Can you imagine your eight-year-old girl, little girl coming up to you and saying, I will never have children because I'm so concerned about climate change? What exactly has happened in the last 10 years, or the last 30 years for that matter, that would lead someone to the conclusion that having a child would either be a cruelty to the child because of how bad the earth is, or would be horrible for the earth because of what that child would wreak upon it. And yet that is what we're seeing here. So I wanna go over a couple of things here with this, because again, like I said, there's, there's two arguments that are being made here, but the first thing I wanna do is I wanna talk about an inappropriate conservative response. I wanna talk about the bad conservative argument before we get into the bad left-wing argument and then the good conservative argument. The bad conservative argument whenever climate change comes up is just to say, it's all a hoax, it's all stupid, it all doesn't matter, who cares? Because one, the idea that the climate changes is a fact, right? A lot of the climate change that we experience is completely beyond any of our control. There's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing we can do about the orbit of our sun around the sun. There's nothing we can do about the current position with respect to the earth on its axis. These are things that are beyond our control, at least with current technology, right? So that, that's one factor. But then there's other things. You don't want to come off as looking like you are completely denying the fact that human beings can have an effect on the environment. Of course we have. Now I know the frustration where somebody says that, oh my gosh, climate change is predominantly caused by human activity and we're all gonna die in 10 years. And then lo and behold, 10 years comes and we haven't all died. And it becomes very, very tempting to say that whenever, to have this automatic reaction, whenever we see climate change to say, that's stupid, I'm not going to listen. Right? When in reality, climate change is a spectrum of things. And some of it is based off of an incredibly strong data and scientists and logical thought processes. And it gives us the information that we need to have a good public policy debate. Some of it is absolute hysteria. Now, I think that hysteria is there for a reason. I actually think there's an agenda behind the hysteria and we'll get to that. But the, the first thing I wanna say is a bad conservative argument is to just say, this doesn't matter. Because I have watched, I have watched sitting there as conservatives in front of a room full of college students said this was all stupid and they never listened to another word that dude said, right? Whereas I had an opportunity to get up and speak after him 
And what I found is, is that whenever someone has a, a concern, especially something like this, where it, it's, it's resulting in absolute dread, rather than say, you have no reason to be concerned about this, say, okay, what is the nature of your concern and how do we effectively address it? And right, and it is the nature of that concern founded. Because if you're telling someone that is, that is very concerned about something, well, that's no big deal. Why are you overreacting? I, clearly you're not married. Because if you're a married person and you do that when your spouse is really concerned about something, well, that's stupid. Why are you concerned about that? That conversation's gonna end in a way you don't like. Okay, same thing with debating something like this. All right, so let's move into the two arguments, the two kind of left-wing arguments that are being made within this comment section. One is the idea of, I don't want them to have kids, or I don't want to have kids because of how horrible the earth is right now. Well, that's kind of a problematic argument because when you see it, all the data that we can look at with respect to everything from the climate, so the number of typhoons, the number of droughts, the number of hurricanes, we see spikes, but then we also see dips. And right now, we're, we're, actually, we're actually seeing a, a downward trend compared to, you know, over the last 100 years. So this idea that every single hurricane season that is really bad is clearly a result of human interaction with the environment, okay, that's problematic. The data doesn't necessarily suggest that because unless you think that we somehow beat carbon emissions in the last five years, then you're going to have to explain why hurricane seasons aren't getting progressively worse, right? Why are they worse some years? Why are they not as bad other years, right? Because if, if carbon emissions or human interaction with the environment is steadily increasing, Right? Even if it's not, maybe not increasing to the same trend line, if it's steadily increasing, and you're saying that that is, that is one of the primary considerating factors when we look at some of these environmental um, uh, episodes or events, then it's, it's perfectly appropriate for us to say, okay, well then it should be on a gradual increase going higher steadily over year after year. And if we're not seeing that take place, that's a problem, right? If you're talking about the North Pole is melting, okay, but ice at the South Pole is increasing, Okay, well, now there's a problem here. How, how do we explain those two things? How do we explain one happening? Could that have more to do with respect to what the earth is doing as opposed to what respect humans are doing? Okay, so the, the first concern is, is when somebody says, I don't want to bring a child into this world because it's so horrible. Well, again, to some degree, that's a value judgment. But the argument that I like to bring back is like, okay, what do you think that is so horrible either now or in the next, you know, 100 years that would cause you to say that I don't, want a, I don't want a child to be born into that. I think it's going to be you know, just dystopian and horrible. Is it, is it really because of climate change? And then make them explain why that is. Now, this is the part where you're, you're making to some degree, you're asking questions. To some degree, you're going to need to be able to make a logical argument, but also an empirical argument. And this is where going to some of those sites, um, you know, uh, Bjorn Lomborg does a great job on this where, again, he's a climate scientist and, and he talks about you know, the, the state of the environment right now versus the state of the environment in the past. Um, another guy to, to, that I think is a, a good resource, um, let me pull up his name here real quick, uh, Richard Linz, uh, Linzen. You know, these guys will provide you with arguments, with data that you can use to it, hopefully at least get someone to the point where they don't think everything is so apocalyptic. And I, I do think it's, it's also useful to point out that a lot of the most doom and gloom um, projections with respect to our planet, they didn't start five years ago or 10 years ago. They started decades ago. And, and I think it's reasonable to look at someone and say, okay, you know, without suggesting that climate change isn't an issue and without suggesting that, that people don't have an effect on the environment, we, we know that they do. We can debate about to what degree that they do, but we know that they do. Aren't you a little bit skeptical of the same media 
that sensationalizes everything. Constantly putting out those stories which all tell us we're going to be dead in 50 years. Like, at, at what point do we tell those people, you're not doing us a favor, either for our mental health, for those people that are watching this and believing it, but also, you're creating a rift in what should otherwise be a fairly productive conversation. So I think one of the, one of the greatest strategies, one of the best strategies that we can use when we're talking to someone that is just so genuinely concerned about is asking specifically, why are you concerned? Because here's what I think you'll find. I think you'll find that a lot of people that especially take this kind of like hysterical view are that way not because they've been sitting there pouring over peer-reviewed data studies on climate change. I think they're that way because the media is sensationalizing something and is intentionally trying to scare them for one of two reasons. Either A, they want you to keep watching, right? They, they make their money off of ad revenue. And if you're not watching, then they're not getting ad revenue. And chances are, the, the old perverse saying, if it bleeds, it leads. It's the same thing with the climate. That's one reason. I think another reason why the media does this is because the media is predominantly left-wing, and this seems to be an agenda that they support. And so they are pushing the most extreme element of it in order to get people truly concerned about it. So, for instance, they are moving what we call the Overton window, right? The Overton window is, is a way to describe kind of um, the range of thought within a particular topic. And the farther they can move the Overton window toward this climate hysteria, right, the more they can push out any voices which are saying, look, I, I don't have a problem researching the climate. I don't have a problem researching human interaction with the climate. But this, you know, your projections are absurd. They can move them into the realm of what? Climate deniers. Because now it's no longer a question of whether or not you're concerned about this issue. It's a question of if you don't demonstrate the level of concern that whatever talking head on the media is demanding from you, then you're part of the problem. It's a way to otherize people that might have a different perspective or a different view or has, have conducted different research. It's a, it's a way of pushing them out of having any sort of input on this. Okay, so that's one factor, this idea of getting someone to explain specifically why. Why are you so concerned about the planet that you would consciously make the decision to not have children because you think it would be cruel to the child to grow up in an era of incredible peace and prosperity compared to the rest of human history? Literally, think about that for a second. The, the media and certain people in politics have gotten an eight-year-old child so scared that she would think that raising a child in an era where we have incredible technology, incredible access to clean water, to good food, to clothing, to housing, in a way that the rest of human history could only have dreamed of, that little girl's terrified of having a child one day. I'm sorry, that is not a result of looking at either climate data or looking at an understanding of what life was like for most of human history on this planet. That is about buying into pure sensationalism and then getting a kind of moral high from acting like you concerned, you're so concerned, you're not going to have a child because you don't want to subject them to this. All right, I'm sorry, I, that's, I do not believe that's rational analysis. I'm not telling you to lead into someone and say that's not rational analysis. I'm simply saying there are really good comparisons that you can make from the rest of human history to right now with respect to having a child and the benefits that that child will have as a result of being born now and not 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. And then on the other side, it's about pulling it back to if you are so concerned that the, that the, the globe is just decades away 
from, from being, you know, a dystopian nightmare. Where does that come from? What are the, what are the data? What's the science? What's the studies that lead you to that conclusion? Because like I said, more often than not, I'm, I'm willing to bet you're not going to get a reference to strong science or diverse scientific research. You're going to get a reference to the overall narrative that is being bombarded and thrown at us by the media, by Hollywood, etc. And so it's important to distinguish between science and the media's representation of science based off of their two agendas, getting paid and pushing a particular ideology. And then the larger comparison between living now versus living a thousand years ago, a hundred years ago, 50 years ago. Okay. So that's step one. And that argument on, I don't want to have kids because it would be bad for the child. There's another side of this argument. And that is, I don't want to have kids because people are bad for the environment, right? We're the virus. We're the virus. We're what's wrong. And so therefore by not having children, I'm actually helping to save the planet. Here's why I think this is problematic. This is what we refer to as a Malthusian way of looking at the world. Now, who is Malthus? Malthus was praised by a lot of left-wing thinkers with respect to everything from economics to social planning. But his theory was, going back a couple of centuries now, his theory was that overcrowding and overpopulation on the earth was going to lead to mass starvation. It was going to lead to massive plagues. It was going to lead to essentially whoever was remaining after everyone died through, through wars over resources um, and everything else, living a degraded life as a result. And so his solution was greater population control. And you've seen this from a lot of people, and it, and it almost, almost always originates from a left-wing perspective of both economics and resources and the human impact on the environment. Now, the, the element of truth is that people can have an adverse effect on the environment. That's the element of truth within the Malthusian construct, right? It's also an element of truth within the environmental claim that again, we're, we're the virus. Can people be bad for the environment? Of course they can. We can litter, we can pollute, we can poison things. You know, dropping atomic bombs is not exactly good for the environment, right? We, we get all of this. The question is, is the solution to what we perceive as climate challenges or just environmental challenges in general, is the solution going to come from having less people or do our solutions usually come from more people working in voluntary cooperation with one another? Because if you were to tell Malthus that in 1800, there would be roughly a billion people in the world and that 80 to 90% of those billion people would be living in extreme poverty, right? Like subsistence living, extreme poverty. And if you were to tell him that in 2015, there would be over 7 billion people on the planet and 80% of them would be living above the extreme poverty line. So I, I want you to think about that real quick. We went from population here, extreme poverty up here, right? So population, a billion, extreme poverty, incredibly high, to population, 7 billion, and extreme poverty, significantly lower, less than 20% of the world's population. How is that possible if more people means more drain on resources? If more people means more harsh environmental impact? How is that possible? That we're actually living better, fuller lives and that we're actually creating new and innovative solutions to address environmental concerns? The answer is the human mind. When people are free to actually work and collaborate and innovate, we're actually really good at solving problems if we have the freedom to do so. 
So this idea that the solution to the climate environment or the or climate problems or environmental problems is just get rid of the people is a very problematic statement based off of what we see over time. Now, I will say this, going back to my original statement, if you're the sort of person that is going to get so concerned over a, a hockey stick graph that you see on a news report that you don't want your kids to have kids, maybe that is the best course of action for you. Because quite frankly, I'm, I'm just being perfectly upfront and honest. If you're going to live in that sort of fear, I don't want you training other people to live in that sort of fear. I would rather we train people up to be excited about confronting challenges and overcoming them. All right, so first one, first argument that we had talked about was, I'm not going to have kids because it's, it'd be horrible for my kids. I think we've done a good job of addressing that. Second one is, I'm not going to have kids because we're the virus and it's bad for the environment. Again, look at human history. As population has increased, we've actually come up with new, innovative, creative ways to be able to solve problems, provided that those people were able to have the freedom from government intervention, power, and oppression to be able to come up with those solutions. And I think that we can expect more of that, provided that we continue in an environment where we encourage freedom of inquiry. Right? Now, there's a third component here that I want to get to, and we'll finish up with this, but I want this third component. Because this is the part that I want anybody from the left listening to this to understand about our concern when we see this level of hysteria. Now, again, you're free to do what you want, but the problem that we have is that we know that deep down, most of you do want to have grandkids. And so, to some degree, this feels like a, a tool of manipulation to where you're telling us that the only way you'll be able to have grandkids or the only way it will be acceptable to raise kids in the future is if we adopt your climate change policies. See, it's not enough that we share your concern. You demand that we implement certain climate change policies that we are not bought into. Let me explain why we're not. First, almost every single left-wing solution I have seen for the climate includes a couple of things, mainly three things. One, more government control and central planning of the economy through regulation, through government takeover of industry, through taxation, through subsidization. It, government control of the economy seems to be a natural in-state for every left-wing solution to climate change I have heard and environmental policy in general. Two, the reduction of private property rights, whether you be a business owner, whether you own a farm, whether you just own your property, the reduction of your property rights and putting more control in the hand of central planners through government at some level, again, seems to be a core element within the solution. All right. <clears throat> the third component has to do with the manipulation of human behavior. And again, this is part of the overall central planning component here. So that manipulation takes a couple of forms. The regulatory side we've discussed, the other side is the subsidization. It's the idea that the government has decided what the solution is, i.e. wind or solar. Therefore, the government must take your money in order to invest in wind and solar. The government might take your property to invest in wind and solar. The government might compel the energy company that you rely on to use a certain amount of renewable energy in order to provide you with energy, which costs your bill to go up or potentially cost your bill to go up. So what is, the, what is the central theme in all of that? Is it is it more human development and innovation and creativity and working together and trying different things? No, it's put the power in the hands of centralized authority within government in order to determine what your energy looks like, what your transportation looks like, what your healthcare looks like, what the economy looks like, what your business looks like, what your food choices are, what your fuel choices are, it's central planning of the economy. 
Now, here's my question. Is this the first time you've tried to sell us on central planning of the economy? Yeah, I would say it isn't. In fact, starting, I mean, for generations, but honestly, this debate with respect to how much government control should exist with respect to the economy is one that we fought pretty, pretty significantly all through the 20th century. Before that as well, but definitely in the 20th century where you had the fight between communism, socialism, capitalism, and free markets. And I seem to remember all these same arguments being made. The difference was is that you weren't making it to save the planet. You were making it because you said it would create a more prosperous, secure, and just society. And so you took this sort of strategy and you put it into action. Where did you put it into action? The Soviet Union, Cuba, Venezuela, Eastern Europe, Vietnam, China. Did it work? Did it create a freer, prosperous, more just society? No. It led to shortages. It led to violent oppression. It led to political prisoners. You know what it also led to? Horrible environmental outcomes. You look at whatever frustration you have with free market economies with respect to the environment, and then you go look at what your socialist centralized central planning economies are doing to the environment. So part of the problem that we have right now is that this looks like an argument that is green on the outside, but red in the center. It looks like you're selling us on the same old ideas that you had before that didn't work, but now you're trying to implement them, and your justification for it now is, we have to do this to save the planet. Well, I have two problems with that. One, I think it will lead to greater oppression, greater economic um, destruction, but I also think it'll lead to bad environmental policy. Because ultimately, when the government creates an environment where people can't produce, can't create, can't innovate, unless they go through a government board approval process first, if the only way that you can make improvements on society to include climate-oriented technology or renewable energy is if you've got the right payoff by the right politician, you've got the right connection in Washington, D.C., you are not going to get positive climate outputs. In fact, you're going you're gonna to end up finding a society that is far poorer. And one of the other most interesting components of this entire you know, dynamic of arguing about this, poorer societies tend to care a whole lot less about environmental quality than wealthier societies. Because if you can't feed yourself, clothe yourself, or get a house for you or your family, you're not all that concerned about the polar bears. But once you have been able to do that stuff, and you have the, the additional time and the disposable income to actually take up causes that you care about, you can do that. But the sort of central planning solutions that I see coming from the left in order to combat climate change don't look a whole lot different to me than the central planning solutions that you used to try to make an argument for a more just, free, and prosperous society. And it did just the opposite, while at the same time producing bad climate results. All right, so real quick, real quick once over the world. First of all, bad conservative argument. Don't tell someone, especially someone that is this concerned about the climate, <clears throat> that it doesn't matter, it's stupid, or they're being hysterical. Right? Ask them questions. Ask them to define their terms. What do you mean by climate change? How much of climate change do you think is naturally occurring? How much do you think is man-made? What do you think would be the best approaches to that? Why do you think would be the best approaches? And then add your, add your insight into it. Address their concern, but show a better way to address it. Free market principles, private property rights, creative and ingenuity, freedom of inquiry and discussion and debate. Th those, those have served us well in so many other areas. They'll serve us well in climate as well. Now let's look at the, two, the, the first two bad uh, 
left-wing arguments that we see in this. One is, <clears throat> I shouldn't raise children in this time because it would be horrible for the children. Compared to what? Let, let's look at the, the whole host of human history. If you're honestly telling me that this is the worst time to bring up children, I would suggest to you that you don't know a lot about what society looked like 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. There is more opportunity, more comfort, more security, more prosperity right now than there has ever been in human history. So to suggest that you're not going to have kids because you think they'll grow up in a horrible environment is, is problematic for two reasons. One, it just doesn't seem to match up with what we actually know about society and know about history. And two, you might be depriving us of the very people that are going to help solve some of these problems you're so concerned about. That's argument one. Argument two, I'm not going to have kids because we're the virus. Okay, once again, what have we seen every time somebody has preached this doom and gloom on famines, doom and gloom on disease and sickness, this idea that if we have more people, that's going to actually, it's going to destroy our resources and everything's you know, going to go to hell in a handbasket. What we've actually seen over the last 200 years is the population has increased significantly and so have all the innovations, um, the, the creativity, the, the inventions, the things that have made our life better, the things that have made us capable of producing so much more with fewer resources. Right? And I believe that that same ingenuity, just like I said before, that same ingenuity that we're going to rely upon, that we've relied upon to, to solve things like hunger, to solve things like uh, you know, clothing and housing and clean water, those are, those are also the ideas and the innovative and the free inquiry that we're going to depend on to solve some of these other issues that we have with legitimate environmental concerns. And then finally, the last argument <clears throat> is stop telling us that because we don't agree with your policy prescription that we don't agree that we want to be good stewards of our environment. We do. We don't necessarily agree with your way to do it. In part because we recognize the solutions you're peddling. And no amount of peddling of the same government centralized control of the economy or our lives that never produced the results when you were using it based off of an economic argument, we don't think they're going to produce the results you're making based off of an environmental argument. And sitting there and browbeating the entire population through the media, through Hollywood, through music, as if if we don't agree with your policies, then therefore we don't care. We're not buying it. We are on to it. We're not buying it. And quite frankly, I'm not letting you do that to my kids. So I'm thrilled that all three of my kids plan to be parents one day. I'm thrilled that I will have an opportunity one day to pay my kids back for all the stuff they broke by handing my grandchild a magic marker and a Red Bull. And I look forward to future generations coming up with new innovative ideas that are going to allow us to be more prosperous, more free, more secure, and to live in what I believe will be a healthier environment as a result of their productivity and creativity. Thank you very much for joining us on Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. We look forward to seeing you next time. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.